Welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? I'm Carrie. I'm Joe. Hey, everyone. Uh, just a quick reminder up front that uh, we're just a bunch of hosers talking about 80s music. So give us a break. We're not professionals. We're not music critics. We're just here to have a good time. Welcome to any new listeners. If you're listening for the first time, good for you. Thank you. Making me very happy. And if you want to check out any of the fun stuff we're doing on Facebook, you can search for Hey Remember the 80s or just do facebook.com slash HRT80s. And that's also our Twitter handle, HRT80S for Hey Remember the 80s. Yeah, I always want to talk about what's going on on the pages without thinking about the fact that these episodes are not going to come out for a while. So let's just say there's some fun polls happening. I mean, we'll keep doing them. So when you hear this, there will be some poll you can participate in. So go check it out. Carrie, I'm very excited. I think the listeners will be excited too to hear that this is the episode where we are bringing back Trash or Treasure. Yeah, we have a good one today, I think. It's going to be maybe a little polarizing. Our subject for Trash or Treasure is She Blinded Me with Science by Thomas Dolby. So I've got some facts up front. Thomas Dolby was a synth session player for a lot of different groups like Foreigner and Def Leppard in the early 80s. And this song was actually not even included on his first solo album, which came out in 1982, but then was part of a five song EP that he released. And so then they re-released his first album with She Blinded Me With Science on it. It went to number five. It was number 23 on the year end chart, but it only made it to number 49 in Dolby's native England. The gentleman shouting throughout the song is uh, named Magnus Pike. He was a TV personality in England focusing on science and technology education, so he probably was like the Bill Nye of his time. Finally, I just want to mention that this video was actually conceived and storyboarded before the song was even written because Thomas Dolby was really aware of MTV's impact and he came up with kind of the idea before the video, before he even wrote the song, and he ended up directing the music video. So those are all the facts, Joe, and I'm taking uh, the treasure side in this one. I think it's undeniably catchy. I mean, it's probably one of the biggest songs of the 80s, something that people would point to as being iconic. I really love the song, even though it's a little bit bizarre, but I love the string parts the most. And I was surprised to find out that those are actually created on a keyboard, which makes sense since, again, he was a big synth guy and was really into like experimenting with music. And I think why I really appreciate the song in hindsight is that hindsight is that he was pushing the limits of what synth pop could do. I mean, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast that I a lot of the songs on my top 40 and a lot of the songs that I gravitate towards in the 80s are like piano or synth based. I, that's just my jam. I really like the early 80s kind of synth pop stuff. And he really broke new ground with this song and and really took it in a new direction. So that's why I'm saying treasure. So <laughs> I understand why this song is important. It is just it encapsulates the 80s, I think, so well, just in its sound. But I just wish it wasn't so yelly. Okay. I don't want to be yelled at. And I think when I was a kid, I also thought 
I got Thomas Dolby and Howard Jones confused, and I thought they were the same person. So the song had a little bit of goodwill. Um, but now that I know it was Thomas Dolby and not Howard Jones who had all the other songs that I liked, I'm just like, ugh, can I never hear it again, please? Well, I don't think that's going to happen, Joe, because it is one of those songs that gets played over and over again on 80 stations. I think I've honestly heard it every day of my life for the last two years. <laughs> And that might have something to do with it, too. But I also think it's trash for one very specific reason. And that is when I went to my babysitters after kindergarten, I would have to take my afternoon nap. I didn't have to take the nap down in the basement with the other kids. She knew how much I loved music. So she would let me take a nap in her daughter's room while she was still at school. And I would go in there and she would turn on the clock radio there by the bed. Um, So I'm there taking a nap or just listening to music and the song comes on and it scared the bejesus out of me. And I didn't know what to do because there were like 900 buttons on that radio. So I couldn't turn it off. So I had to run out of the room and hide in the hallway until, you know, I waited about five minutes thinking, okay, that's enough time. And I remember coming back and pretenders back on the chain gang was on the radio and I was safe. And I've always held it against Thomas Dolby. And unfortunately this song, which I never want to listen to, for the rest of my life. Oh, my Lord. Oh, Joe, the whole time you were talking, I had my face like turned away from the microphone <laughs> laughing. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't patronize me. <laughs> I, I want to say I completely understand the Howard Jones, Thomas Dolby confusion. I, we should post a picture on the Facebook of them side by side because, yeah, I think they could be twins. And secondly, I want to say that, you know, just like my argument for why I thought John Waits missing you was trash. Sometimes it's just like personal issues that (laughs) come to light when these songs are being considered. So that sounds really terrifying. It really was. And for me to remember that even now, you know, it must have been really that really scarred me. We all have those moments from our childhood that live with us for the rest of our lives. And I'm I'm very sorry that Thomas Dolby is to blame for that one. So those are our arguments, trash or treasure for Thomas Dolby's She Blinded Me with Science. Joe's are quite personal, but maybe you have some experiences with She Blinded Me with Science that are the same. Well, now we have to throw it out to the listeners. So we'll have some polls out on our Twitter and on our Facebook, too. So you can weigh in on whether you think this is trash or treasure. And I'll be interested to see where this one falls. I I guarantee you that there's some people who um, around my age who were also very scared of this song when it came out. I guarantee it. We should do a segment on songs that scared us. Number one being Michael Jackson's Thriller, of course. Yeah, that would be number one. But I would my other big fear was the album cover for that Styx record, whatever Mr. Roboto was on with like those robot faces. (laughs) That was rough. Yeah, I didn't care for that one either. Okay, well, let's lighten the mood a little bit, um, but just barely, because we're going to talk about something that we got the idea from Genoa and Val, who are avid listeners, and they suggested we talk about actors in the 80s who hit the charts with, uh, and I'm doing air quotes, their music. (laughs) For real. I mean, I don't know if this really is going to lighten the mood, because there's some dark shit happening (laughs) with these songs. I'm looking at the list now, and I this doesn't look to me people who did both. 
you know, like performers, entertainers. This looks like we're talking about actors who are like, I went in on that, you know, and, and cut an album or a song. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are and these are all men. I mean, maybe we'll tackle ladies at a different point, but men who thought they were great and so that they could put out music when they could not sing most of these. So let's start with Don Johnson. I know (laughs) he had a song called Heartbeat, which actually peaked at number five in 1986, which was originally recorded by Helen Reddy, which is bizarre to me. I also want to let you know that Helen Reddy was in Disorderlies. (laughs) Oh, my God. God, it's always always coming back to disorderlies. <laughs> I've been sitting on that little morsel for a while, so I'm glad, it, I'm glad this came up organically. Anyway, this song Heartbeat was recorded at the height of his fame with Miami Vice. So, you know, he probably could have recorded an album of his farts and it would have been popular. I would have preferred that. Yeah, it, like it's just not singing. Like, that's what I think. I listened to a bunch of these songs today and a lot of them are just like, there's no musicality to it. It's just a man standing behind a microphone, kind of sing shouting and trying to act like he's got some sort of passion when it's really not happening. There's no way for us to know for sure, but I would wager that if you had to count how many yes men were behind this, like who do you think had more yes men surrounding them than Don Johnson at the height of Miami Vice popularity in the 80s, right? Well, absolutely. And he must have been totally coked out of his mind, too. I mean, Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So he's like sweating behind the mic, like just taking a bump like after every <laughs> line. But, you know, even more disturbing than Heartbeat is a song that he did in 1988 called Tell I Loved You, which was a duet with his then-girlfriend Barbara Streisand. That is mind-blowing to me. It is. And, I mean, please, everyone, listen to this song. You know, it's Barbara Streisand, so she's beautiful. She's got a beautiful voice. You know, so she's holding up her part. But having him on the song is just... She must have been totally digmatized by him because I don't know why in the world she would have allowed this to happen otherwise. It's just, it's not good. I have never heard it. I'm going to take a listen and see, but I I would also be very curious to see what she would say about it now because I think she's pretty like, you know, no holds barred when it comes to spilling yeah. the tea from back then. Yeah. I mean, I guess next time she goes on one of her final farewell tours, We'll have to uh, we'll have to go and shout at her from the front row. What was up with that song with Don Johnson? <laughs> She'd tell us. <laughs> she would. So that's Don Johnson. Next, who do we have, Joe? Well, unfortunately, 
we're going from bad to worse, I feel. Well, hang on. I'm getting ahead of myself because next is Bruce Willis, extremely charismatic actor from the 80s. But again, had the yes men. He was like, you know what? I want to do like blues music and put out an album called Return of Bruno. And everyone was like, yes, Bruce, get it. The crazy thing is that it was called Return of Bruno because he like started his career as a singing bartender or something named Bruno. I mean, I don't know. It all sounds suspect. Like the it's just you're a TV star and a movie star and your career's exploding. Maybe focus on that. You know what I mean? This was again, this was really at the height of his I feel it was at the height of his popularity. Yeah, I mean, he was when Moonlighting came out, that show. I want I would love to go back and see like what the actual ratings are, but it certainly was like the most talked about TV show on television. Right. Yeah, my brother and his friend really loved it, so I had to watch watch it even though I didn't really understand what the hell was going on. Yeah, I liked it too. I didn't th- I don't think I understood much of what was happening. I have this indelible memory of the episode where they parodied Taming of the Shrew. Shrew. That's <laughs> yes. the only one I remember. Yes. <laughs> okay, well we can't go this far into Moonlighting and not mention the amazing theme sung by Al Jarreau. Yeah, I knew that was coming as soon it's, as it started. I love it so much. I'm going to pour some out for Al Jarreau. Getting back to Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah, Bruce Willis. Um, So Respect Yourself is a horrible song that somehow made it to number five, and he took the Pointer Sisters with him, or was it just the one? I think it was just June. And it's funny because I was reading Wikipedia, of course, and, you know, it says that, you know, it was a duet with June Pointer, but... When this song was out, no one was mentioning her name. It was all Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis. So I think it's really funny or I mean, I guess it's a little bit funny, like strange, but it's also good that in hindsight, we're like pointing out who the ladies were that were singing on these songs because they were just as big a part of it as these guys. She was the best part of this song. Obviously. I mean, she's the only good part about it. Uh, I love this choice quote from People magazine. That says, respect yourself, shows us that Willis can't shout songs quite as well as Don Johnson. Exactly. People Magazine, you said it all. They were savages. (laughs) I mean, but again, yeah, I mean, that's all he's doing. He's just kind of shouting for these songs that are supposed to be, like you said, they're kind of blues songs are supposed to be. I don't know, charismatic or about, you know, hard times for people. And it's like schmarmy Bruce Willis singing them. It's like, read the room, dude. (laughs) But at least he only had that one hit i think he there were a couple i remember hearing a couple on the countdown under the boardwalk he redid which is a travesty like leave that one alone right um that was his biggest one our next gentleman really only had one hit but it was a big one and that's jack wagner who was starring on general hospital at the time and went to number two with a song called all i need (laughs) 
it's not horrible. Yeah, I will say again, I you know I don't know what other way to say it, but it just feels like he's shouting at us. You know, of the of the three we've discussed, though, it's the most actually sounds like a real song. That's true. I think. But he you're had right. Some... There's some there's some shouting going on for sure. Yeah, well, he had some actual musical talent behind him. Like Glenn Ballard was one of the producers on this song and I think wrote it. And he later went on to obviously make the groundbreaking album Jagged Little Pill with one of my favorites, Alanis Morissette. Okay, well, you jumped right over Wilson Phillips, but okay. He worked with Wilson Phillips, too? Um, He made Wilson Phillips. Okay, well, now I have an even greater appreciation for him because I love that Wilson Phillips album. I mean, I, I know they had more than one, but the first one, which was just yeah. called Wilson Phillips, is right. amazing. To me, they only had one, and it was the debut, self-titled. Yeah, wow. Now I just want to talk about Wilson Phillips, but nope, getting back, back to Jack, Jack Wagner. He's from St. Louis, I just found out. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, all I need, it's a good song. He does, he does a passable job. I'm actually, you know, shocked that of all the people we've talked about so far that he did only have one hit because it seems like he should have capitalized on that success with something more, but who knows what happened with him? Yeah. No other songs. I don't remember him like crossing over into like non soaps, you know? that's the thing about him too it's like trying to think back on what he's been in over the years it's all i mean i think later on he did nighttime soaps i think he was on melrose place but i can't think of a single movie or other regular tv show that he was on right but i guess we'll give him his props going from a daytime soap to a nighttime soap is a promotion (laughs) everyone knows that yeah Speaking of soap operas, we have another actor who was on a soap opera and decided to put out a song, but this was also, it was just a little bit more successful than Jack Wagner's. It's Michael Damien from Young and the Restless, and he sang Rock On. It went to number one in 1989. Yeah, can you believe that? I had the single, Joe. I loved this song. Well, then you're part of history because your purchase helped put that song at number one yeah it doesn't hold up that well i will say i mean it's it's okay but it's not the greatest this was actually from a movie called dream a little dream which starred the two Corys, Heyman Feldman. So this is very classic 80s stuff we're talking about right here. Did I you ever see that movie? I saw the movie, but if you put a gun in my head and said, explain the plot, I would die. <laughs> I do not. Did like an old person's soul inhabit the body of one of the Corys? Yep. Yep. Really? I, yes. Oh my God. Jason Robards, I think. <laughs> I can't remember which Corey, though. I think it was Corey Feldman. Oh, it doesn't matter. I think Meredith Salinger was in it, too, right? Yes, she was. Let me tell you a bizarre story about this, Joe. Forgive me, Jennifer, but I'm putting all of your business out on the line. Oh, this is going to be rich. (laughs) My sister, Jennifer, used to do this weird thing where she would tape, like, movies onto an audio tape. And then she would listen to them while she was falling asleep. And I remember her doing that with this movie dream a little dream (laughs) so i would 
every night while I was trying to fall asleep, I would hear from her room playing dialogue, the dialogue from the movie. So she cranked it up. You guys didn't share a room and you still heard it? Yes. Jennifer, come on. She's trying to sleep. So not much more to say about Michael Damien. You know, he he didn't have much of an acting career either after this. I think his big claim to fame since the late 80s was that he was on Broadway in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So I'm sure he's still doing the um like casino circuit. Oh, you know? yeah. All right. Our next one, I actually I think is good. The song we're going to talk about. It's Patrick Swayze. She's like the wind. Um, this was the original suge- suggestion from Genoa. And this song actually went to number three. He co-wrote this song in 1984 for a movie called Grandview USA. And it was not used and ended up getting used in Dirty Dancing about three years later. So I have some appreciation for Patrick, given that he actually, you know, co-wrote the song. And I think he's a good singer. I mean, the song itself obviously is, you know, tied to Dirty Dancing. And so maybe I have some appreciation for it just because of that movie and how much I loved it when I was that age. But also, I just, yeah, I think that it holds up. Just a fool to believe I have anything she needs. She's like the wind. I agree. I, I liked it. I always liked it. I like it now. And I don't know if it's just because I liked Patrick Swayze so much in all of his movies. I just feel like opposed to these other people, he wasn't like trying to force his singing career. I just remember thinking like, well, you know what? He's in a movie with a hot soundtrack. I'll give it to him. <laughs> That's a really good point, Joe, because the only songs that he had after that were from other movies that he was in. He sang two songs in Roadhouse and then one for a movie called Next of Kin. So I think we should give him extreme props for, you know, maybe he just liked to dabble in singing on the side. And so he was like, when he was in movies, he was like, hey, maybe I'll sing on this one. I like to think that if they had not picked the song for Dirty Dancing, if he would have gone to Roadhouse and been like, look, guys, I got a great song for this movie. (laughs) Like in every right. every movie, he tries to pitch it. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, I really like Patrick Swayze as an actor, too. I don't know what it is about him. I think he just, I mean, I don't think he's like a great actor, but he's just one of those guys that it seemed like he, he had a nice personality. and I really liked him. Mm-hmm. And we lost him way too soon. So RIP yes. Patrick Swayze. Carrie, this last one, I don't know if this person is in the same boat because I'm a little confused on his career timeline. He was an actor. He was a singer. He was an actor in Australia. Then he was a singer here. And like, I just, it's all jumbled. So I don't know. Was Rick Springfield on General Hospital first and then his music career took off? I think that's how it went, right? Well, I think what the story was is that he started off as a rock singer, but was doing maybe like guest spots on TV, I think is what it was. He had a couple of albums in the 70s that didn't hit big in the US, but were big in Australia, where he's from and England. And he actually recorded what would become his breakout album, Working Class Dog, which featured Jesse's Girl first, but he didn't think that it was going to be big. So he ended up taking a job on General Hospital before the album was released. 
And then the album exploded and he was, I don't know if he was stuck playing Dr. Noah Drake on General Hospital or if he just decided to ride that wave. But so he was uh, doing both at the same time. He was acting on General Hospital and going on tour to support Working Class Dog, which ended up being a huge album. It was. And he had a lot of great hits, too. I I really think I only knew Jesse's Girl until about two years ago. And then I heard some of his other hits, especially I've Done Everything For You, which was on my top 40. That's my absolute favorite one, but there are a lot of other really good ones, which you can talk about because I think you were a pretty big Rick Springfield fan back in the day, weren't you? I was a huge Rick Springfield fan. I really only included him in this segment, Joe, so I could tell this story. I was probably about four. I must have been because I know where we were living when I'm telling the story. And I was about four when we were living there. But me and my best friend, Becca, loved Rick Springfield. I don't know how in the world we even came to know him or love him, but we did. And he starred in a movie in 1985 called Hard to Hold. This movie came to Eau Claire where we were living. And Eau Claire had a single movie theater Becca and I begged my mom to take us, and I don't know how in the world it came to be that my father got enlisted to take Becca and I to see Hard to Hold, but he must have been being punished for something or something. (laughs) (laughs) He had pissed my mom off. So my dad takes me and Becca to see Hard to Hold, and literally, which you can go see because hard to hold in its entirety is out there on youtube in the first five minutes of this movie some coked up backup singer breaks a bottle and threatens people (laughs) and then rick springfield is taking a shower while this is happening and wants to get away from this situation so he leaves with just a towel wrapped around him and then ends up getting chased by fans (laughs) down a hallway. And while he's going down some stairs, he drops the towel and you see his bare butt. I, to this day, have no idea how we were allowed to continue to watch the movie. And my dad didn't just like immediately take me and Becca out. (laughs) But we did. Anyways, long story short, thanks, Dad, for taking me and Becca hard to hold and not dragging us out of the theater at the 530 mark. But I'm here to tell you that I just Googled what the movie poster looked like for its theatrical run. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. If this poster was hanging up outside and your dad still bought the tickets for you kids, I am going to have to have a talk with them because... It is the most overtly sexual movie poster I've ever seen. I'm just Googling it now, too. (laughs) Oh, my God, Joe. (laughs) We will have to post this so that listeners can see what we're talking about. Oh, I'm not even going to describe it. (laughs) Oh, but yeah, Rick Springfield, he... He actually like continues to act now, which is bizarre. He turns up in things that I watch and I'm always like surprised to see him, even though, again, he was like, I think he's been an actor throughout his career, but 
he was on True Detective, and he also was on Supernatural a couple years ago, and he popped up on that, and I was like, oh, look, it's Rick Springfield. So. And he was in, I believe he was also in Ricky and the Flash with Meryl Streep a few years ago. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Rick gets around. Rick gets the, and Rick gets the crown from, from this batch, I believe. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think, again, you know, it's a little bit, it's definitely okay. lopsided in his favor. Yeah, he's definitely the most popular of the ones we've talked about. And to be honest, it wasn't really any of a contest except maybe Patrick Swayze was up there right. with him. Yeah, and the others can, yeah, let's just forget about him. <laughs> that segment was actors who tried to sing to varying degrees of success. And I see now here on the outline for today's show, Carrie, that you're finally going to tell me your story. I have no idea what's what's coming. Yeah, well, this is the story that I have been teasing to you. We started talking about doing this podcast sometime late last year. And I had just read a book and I wanted to tell you this crazy story, which I thought was like quintessential 80s. But I thought to myself, you know what? I need to save that for when we do this podcast. And now it's probably been about three months since then. I have continued to tell you that I'm going to tell you this story and get your reaction live on the air. But I hope that I haven't built it up too much. But here's the story, Joe. So I read a book called World in His Eyes, World in My Eyes. Sorry, it's Richard Blade's autobiography. Richard and Blade, I'm that name's not ringing a bell. Oh my God, Joe! Richard You've already Blade. Failed. Yes. Richard Blade. You've already Can failed. I... I was gonna ask you, where is the most important place that you know Richard Blade from? Okay, hang on, hang on. Let me think about this. It's got to be a lead singer of an 80s band, right? Oh, my God, no. What? He is an iconic. I promise I'll stop saying the word iconic at some point. But he was a famous DJ in the 80s. He worked on a station called K-Rock in Los okay. Angeles. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, but the place where everyone should know him from is the movie Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Have you seen that, Joe? Yes, but it's been a while. Don't judge okay. me. He is the like host of the show within Dance the TV? movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's him. Okay. So anyways, the book is good. I would recommend the book to everyone. It's got some good stories. It's got a lot of history about 80s stuff that people might not know about. He was, yeah, a disc jockey and he was doing some other things. But he tells a story of... Breaking the song The Metro by Berlin, mm -hmm. which is, I say a lot that songs are my favorites, but The Metro by Berlin is legitimately probably one of my favorite 80 songs. It was only not on my top 40 because it didn't hit the charts. Mm -hmm. It was obscure. It was like dance, alternative, whatever they called it back then. But it's a great song that you should check out. And he had the record sleeve in front of him while he was on the air and said something along the lines of, oh, this woman is so beautiful. I would just love to know who she was or I don't know, whatever weird DJs say. And Terry Nunn, who is the lead singer of Berlin and was the woman on the record sleeve, called into the studio and said, that's me. I'm the woman on the record sleeve. Aww. And she ended up coming down to the studio to meet him. And Richard Blade and Terry Nunn started dating. 
That's awesome. I know. That's not the story. Oh, <laughs> the story okay. gets better. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> and then, so he tells a lot about their relationship and, you know, they were together for what seems like a, a while and they were very serious. He's very honest in the book and at the same time that he's like dating Terry Nunn, apparently he's having an affair with some other DJ woman. They were out one night at like a gig he had at a club or something. And everyone said, oh, my gosh, something's happening outside. So he walks out with this woman that he's having an affair with. And he has like his arm around her. And they're obviously together. Right. And they go outside and there's some, I wish I had gone back and read the book, but it's been a while. It's something in the air, either sky riding or balloons or something mm-hmm. in the air that's like, Richard, will you marry me? And Terry Nunn pulls oh. up in a white limo uh. <laughs> and gets out. Of the limousine to this, like, big display about, like, will you marry me? And looks over and sees Richard Blade with his arm around this other woman that he's obviously screwing. And she gets back in the limousine and drives away. (laughs) And I think, I think, uh, again, sorry, I wish I had read the book, but I would recommend that everyone goes back and reads it. But uh, I think she never talked to him again until many years later. Like, she just got back in the limousine and (laughs) rolled on out of his life. And then he ended up marrying that girl and (laughs) getting divorced. So, Richard Blade. I know. Richard Blade, get it together. I know. It's actually, he's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, he acknowledges that he was an asshole and yeah. that he did a lot of bad shit, like, during the 80s. But he seems really nice now. He's actually on Sirius. Uh, he has a show on First Wave, which is, like, the New Wave channel, and I listen to it a lot. He's he's cool. I like him. Yeah, I was but, just Googling some pictures so I could get an idea of, of what he looks like. In the 80s, he looked like Spike from Buffy. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, one hundred percent. He has all these cool pictures of like Morrissey and people like that. I, I would yeah. check out that book. Unfortunately, yes, that story is very sad, and I, I feel for Terry Nunn. And if I go on the '80s cruise next year, I'll have to maybe move, get some more dirt. She, she might have some other stories to tell about him. He did say, like in the acknowledgments or something like that, that he had ran the chapter past her before. Like he just put it out there. And so she approved of him telling this story. So, so that's my big story, Joe. What did you think? Well, I, first of all, I, I think I'm gonna have to do a deep dive into the Berlin catalog. I didn't know you liked them so much. Yeah, they have a lot of great songs. The Metro, I can't even remember where I heard it for the first time, but it is, it's so good. It's such a great song. And I do like it. I like it yeah. and I like um I like Take My Breath Away, but are those the only two songs I know by them? It's possible. I mean, there's probably a lot that you've heard that you couldn't like remember by name, like No More Words, Masquerade. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. They're all coming back to me now. I'll do a, a deep dive into their discography and let you know what I think. And maybe we should also um, remind people not to propose by skywriting unless you're, like, pretty sure the guy's not doing other people. <laughs> I know. Uh, but 
it's, how badass is Terry Nunn though too? I'm like in love with her now. Like that is yeah. that's amazing. If I felt that way about someone and wanted to propose, that's how I would do it now. I love it. Well, so that's what we have for today, Joe. I guess I'll remind people that they need to go and vote trash or treasure for She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby. So did you love that song and you want to vote treasure or did it scare the shit out of you and make you not trust bleach blonde men for the rest of your life? Yeah. I'll remind everybody that, you know, we had a segment this time that came straight from our Facebook page, a suggestion by a listener. So we would love for you to give us ideas. Um, We have tons of them, but, you know, we'd love to hear new ones. And that was a great one. So hit us up. Tell us what you think at Facebook. Search for Hey, Remember the 80s or tweet us at HRT 80s. Yep. We would love to hear from you, whichever way you want to do it. Carrie, do you have anyone you want to shout out before we wrap this up? Yeah, Joe, I have one shout out. It's for Tom, not the original Tom. This is Tom, too, who is a friend of mine who has been helping us with our social media. So our Facebook and our Twitter and stuff like that. Um, He's a great guy. So shout out to Tom. And uh, don't worry, I checked with him. He has not seen Disorderlies. So thank God. No worries there. Okay, we're like the official podcast for Tom's, I feel like. I know. Not the shoe brand. People (laughs) named Tom. Yeah. Uh, Disorderlies, I do have to say that uh, my husband's feeling a little, um, he feels that he didn't really love it as much as we make it out. He did see it a few times as a kid. To me, that means you loved it, but I'm not going to say that to him. He didn't love it. He just enjoyed it. Okay, sure. We're going to need some confirmation on this. Tina, if you're listening, please get on the Facebook and let us know what Dave's real thoughts about Disorderlies were. And one thing that I just found out, as I told you that Helen Reddy was in Disorderlies, I also found out that Ray Parker Jr. was in Disorderlies, who is Dave's, (laughs) absolutely Dave's least favorite musician of all time is Ray Parker Jr. So now that he knows he was in Disorderlies, this might blow the whole thing wide open ah there's so it always comes back to disorderlies it's crazy i don't get it but to watch it i think we might have to watch it for research special report disorderlies episode coming soon so carrie i think this is the time you normally say be kind to yourselves you know what joe i want to out you to everyone i want to say that joe is that ship has sailed I know this is different. I want to say that Joe is super critical about the podcast and he wants it to be great. And so I just want to say to you personally, Joe, which I had to do over text this week, be kind to yourself. Yeah, be kind to us. Be kind to yourself out there. And um, we're having a great time. And that's really all that matters. So we hope you're having a great time, too. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 